Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 24, the, the strong proclamation of who our God is. And that's one of the great joys we have here on KFUO. And I remember this, Pastor Ferguson and I, like I mentioned, we're at seminary together. There was often many times we would get done with pastoral theology class and we would walk down to, well, it's not Panera in St. Louis, is it? It's... um. What is it? Was St. Louis Bread Company, right? Isn't that what it was? Yeah, it's. I think it's all kind of, <laughs> kind of Panera now. But yeah, yeah. yeah Back right, in the day, yeah. it was. Right. We would walk down the street. We would go there, and I just remember those days specifically. One for our great conversations and encouragement that you gave to me and then the other brothers. But also, while living in St. Louis, there are so many times that I'll be driving and listen to KFUO eight fifty, and um, and and that was a proclamation of truth and coming from college. I know you went to Notre Dame and, and I went to an ELCA school and, and a liberal college and so forth. And it was amazing to be able to hear on the radio that pure proclamation of truth along with our time in St. Louis. So that always helped, uh, how you say it, when I was eating my bagel to uh, know that we were in truth as well. So pastor, anything else you want to highlight in verses one and two of Psalm 24? Um, mostly just that acknowledgement of, um, you know, that we're before Yahweh and all creation belongs to him because he made it, but not just that he's creator, right? Uh, the fact that he is the, the one who blesses it all and, and, and continues to, you know, lavish his love on it and bring order to it, you know, and using the idea of the rivers and the, uh, mm. the seas, right. And how, and when you look at other, uh, ancient religions like that, how, the sea was characteristic of chaos and and of fright and and all those problems and you see that uh, concept echoed in a lot of the old testament um but god is a god of that too and so he's the god that that not only um has the chaos but brings order out of it and rules and reigns over all of it and and for him to bring order for the sake of his people and and david so strongly wants to establish those those thoughts in the in the minds and hearts of his uh, people as he puts this together. And this is where you do get that vision when the, the Ark of the Covenant is coming back to the tabernacle, that they're proclaiming this, and this was not to beat people over the head with it. You know, we can tend to do that at times. Well, God's the creator of everything. and and But here, like you said, you're kind of bathing in this glory of God, that the grace of God to know that he did this all for order, not for the sake of trying to like prove a point, but for the sake of, of, of his people, for the sake of, of love for his people. And like I said before, and that love that he created this world is also means that in love he created you, that in love he saved you in the fullness of time through Christ. So, Pastor, let's keep things moving along. We have more breaks today than normal. So let's read verses 3 through 6. It begins with the proclamation of God, and then it kind of does a little reflection on who are you then? Who shall ascend, verse 3, the, the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now, once again, we get to this teaching mode of questions, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And what does, what does David tell us? Right. So he establishes then that shift, right? So if you're thinking about it liturgically, you have 
you know, someone calling out to the people here, right? Who can go up to the hill of the Lord, right? And we're talking about that idea of, of this is Yahweh's city, right? This is Zion on the hill. This is Jerusalem. It's, it's the holy place of God, the holy city of God. And who can go into the place where God has chosen to dwell among his people, right? And it gets even closer to that. Not only who shall ascend, but the second part of that verse, of verse three, who shall stand in his holy place? So you have this movement up, toward God conceptually, right? And, and physically up on top of the, the, the mount there. And then who can stand there in the tabernacle before the living presence of God, right? And so it's this move of not only recognizing God as creator, but but as holy. And this move of, of, of not forgetting who he is in relation to his creatures, that he made everything out of love for us, but that doesn't detract from the majesty and holiness of God. Uh, and and our relationship to him as creatures, and this the, the words like once again in our liturgy that we will speak often of is Psalm one hundred and thirty. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? And I was kind of battling that a little bit of of, of the connections that we can make with that. And any thoughts on on because there it's speaking about. Uh, forgiveness is speaking about, you know, if, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. And that I think that runs through even the word forgiveness does not run through this whole time, but it's it's there. So what are your thoughts on that connection? Psalm 130, Psalm 24. Any thoughts? Oh, yeah. So um, so he really brings the law to mind for the people and balances it out here, though. So, you know, in verse four, um, who can do this? The answer is anyone who has clean hands and a pure heart, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, no small task, right? So you have this <laughs> this move of uh, not only like that my actions outwardly are clean, but inwardly I'm clean too, right? Psalm 51, right? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, wow. That idea mm-hmm. that we have to, uh, that before God, we have to be holy. This is his holy place. And therefore we must be holy if we are to ascend to this place and stand before God. So who's going to be able to do that? Uh, and the answer is, well, no one, right? No one. So, <laughs> so yet then he moves into verse five, right? He, he being whoever this is that can ascend the hill, right? But now it's singular. Right. right. He mm. will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. See, then it moves back into generation. So you have this idea of of who can do this. And then this move of this one person. And then it moves back to a whole generation again. And on one hand, you could be talking like the individual and the idea that we each have to examine our hearts before God. But then also you have this this idea of there being someone who is worthy to ascend it. And because of that, in light of that, then we too can, because we're connected to that one. Um, So you have this really subtle law gospel moment here uh, in this back and forth of, of us not being worthy to ascend and stand in the presence of God. But there is one who receives those blessings and that righteousness and brings salvation. And so all those gifts are ours. We become righteous. We receive the blessings from the Lord. Such then are we the generation that can, that seeks him, um, that wants to be, you know, with the God of Jacob, uh, the one who is creator. And now also we recognize not only holy, but also redeemer. And it brings up this language of seeking him. Um, what does it mean to seek 
him, seek the Lord. That, that's a language, you know, um, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is Matthew chapter six. Uh, seek the Lord. You know, I did, like, like I mentioned to our listeners, you know, Dr. Ferguson's is a great teacher. So I, 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 you know, I learned a lot over Panera and St. Louis Bread Company. So I want the same thing to happen here. How would you describe that? One of your kids in confirmation class says, what does it mean to seek the Lord? You know, I go to church and then I go home. What, what is the seeking thing? What does that look like? Well, I think there's a couple of parts to that. One is is first the seeking in terms of I don't see his hand immediately, right? right. I look right. at the broken world. Uh, as Jesus says in the Beatitudes, right? I start hungering and thirsting for righteousness because I see as I grow in Christ, I see the dichotomy between what things ought to be and what things are and just how broken the fall really made everything, right? And so the more I grow in Christ, the more I understand what it means to be holy and righteous, what it means to to be good, kind of capital G, good, uh, uh, in terms of God and, and, his, and his holiness um, and his character and nature, I begin to see just how broken my character and nature is and, and the brokenness of everyone around me and the brokenness of the condition of the world and nature and everything. And so now I seek him, I hunger and thirst for the character and nature of God to be present now, you know, in my life and, and in the world around me, you know, and then Luther talks about that in relation to like the Lord's prayer, right? Where we call on God's kingdom to come. Um, God's kingdom comes without us, you know, doing it, but we pray that it comes to us. Right. And so this hunger that, that as, as the Holy spirit works in our hearts and engenders faith in us and grows that faith, uh, makes us hunger for that right relationship with God to be present in us, but then also for us to be able to see his hand in the world. And then it says this language that we will, you know, we'll say uh, the word face. So who seek the face of God, the God of Jacob. So seeking and then the face. Um, I don't know. I've never seen a picture of God's face. Obviously, Christ, you know, we know through that, but I haven't seen the face of God. Was that, what does that mean? We have about a minute left before our break. Well, that's that's more of the idea that we are in the living presence of God and uh, are not destroyed, right? Uh, if you remember back right in the Old Testament, right, you have Moses, where Moses is like, you know, I want to see your face. He's like, you can't because you'll die, right? And yet, right. and yet we have this other moment when the sins of everyone's atoned for after the Ten Commandments are given, and everyone says we will adhere to the you know all the things that God has called us to. And the elder, and then the, the blood is put out on them, and their sins are atoned for. And then Moses and the elders go up, and they, they, they see God face to face, and they dine with him on the mountain, right? You have this moment where because of the blood has covered over their sins uh, and forgiveness is theirs, that they are now in a right relationship with God such that being in the living presence of God doesn't eradicate them. And... That's that moment of seeking God's face, right? That we want to be in his living presence, to to have that wash over us. And instead of it destroying us, that uh, instead it it gives us an understanding of what life really means and, and what it what it's all its potentials are once sin is, is removed from it, right? And Paul talks about that with the idea of uh, before, you know, like right now we see through a, a glass dimly, but later on face to face, right? That that yeah. all the fullness of God is now there and in a right relationship with him, instead of a striking terror in us, it's nothing but joy and wonder and grace. 
the Lord look upon you with his favor, which we can't deny the idea of his face looking upon us with favor on account of Christ. Pastor, we need to take our next break. We are studying and praying Psalm 24 with Pastor Ferguson, and we'll be right back. program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit KFUO.org and click on the donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. studying and praying Psalm 24, the, the strong proclamation of who our God is. And that's one of the great joys we have here in KFUO. And I remember this, Pastor Ferguson and I, like I mentioned, we're at seminary together. There's often many times we would get done with pastoral theology class and we would walk down to, well, it's not Panera in St. Louis, is it? It's, um, what is it? St. St. Louis Bread Company, right? Isn't that what it was? Yeah, it's. I think it's all kind of... <laughs> kind of Panera now, but yeah, yeah. yeah right, back in the day yeah. it was. Right. We would walk down the street, we would go there and I just remember those days specifically one for our great conversations and encouragement that you gave to me and then the other brothers, but also while living in St. Louis, there are so many times that I'll be driving and listen to KFUO 850 and, um, and, and that was a proclamation of truth and coming from college. I know you went to Notre Dame and, and I went to an ELCA school and, and a liberal college and so forth. And it was amazing to be able to hear on the radio that pure proclamation of truth along with our time in St. Louis. So that always helped, uh, how you say it, when I was eating my bagel to uh, know that we were in truth as well. So, Pastor, anything else you want to highlight in verses one and two of Psalm 24? Um, mostly just that acknowledgement of, um, you know, that we're before Yahweh and all creation belongs to him because he made it, but not just that he's creator, right? Uh, the fact that he is the, the one who blesses it all and, and, and continues to, you know, lavish his love on it and bring order to it, you know, and using the idea of the rivers and the, uh, mm. the seas, right. And how, and when you look at other, uh, ancient religions like that, how, the sea was characteristic of chaos and and of fright and and all those problems and you see that uh, concept echoed in a lot of the old testament um but god is a god of that too and so he's the god that that not only um has the chaos but brings order out of it and rules and reigns over all of it and and for him to bring order for the sake of his people and and david so strongly wants to establish those those thoughts in the in the minds and hearts of his uh, people as he puts this together. 
And this is where you do get that vision when the, the Ark of the Covenant is coming back to the tabernacle, that they're proclaiming this, and this was not to beat people over the head with it. You know, we can tend to do that at times. Well, God's the creator of everything. and and But here, like you said, you're kind of bathing in this glory of God, that the grace of God to know that he did this all for order, not for the sake of trying to like prove a point, but for the sake of, of, of his people, for the sake of, of love for his people. And like I said before, and that love that he created this world is also means that in love he created you, that in love he saved you in the fullness of time through Christ. So, Pastor, let's keep things moving along. We have more breaks today than normal. So let's read verses 3 through 6. It begins with the proclamation of God, and then it kind of does a little reflection on who are you then? Who shall ascend, verse 3, the, the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now, once again, we get to this teaching mode of questions. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And what does what does David tell us? Right. So he establishes then that shift, right? So if you're thinking about it liturgically, you have, you know, someone calling out to the people here, right? Who can go up to the hill of the Lord, right? And we're talking about that idea of, of this is Yahweh's city, right? This is Zion on the hill. This is Jerusalem. It's, it's the holy place of God, the holy city of God. And who can go into the place where God has chosen to dwell among his people, right? And it gets even closer to that. Not only who shall ascend, but the second part of that verse, of verse three, who shall stand in his holy place? So you have this movement up toward God, that's conceptually, right? And, and physically up on top of the, the, the mount there. And then who can stand there in the tabernacle before the living presence of God, right? And so it's this move of not only recognizing God as creator, but but as holy and this move of, of, of not forgetting who he is in relation to his creatures, that he made everything out of love for us, but that doesn't detract from the majesty and holiness of God uh, and, and our relationship to him as creatures. And this, the words, like once again, in our liturgy that we will speak often of is Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept the record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? And I was kind of battling that a little bit of, of, of the connections that we can make with that. And any thoughts on, on because there it's speaking about uh, forgiveness, it's speaking about, you know, if, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. And that I think that runs through, even the word forgiveness does not run through this whole time, but it's it's there. So what are your thoughts on that connection, Psalm 130, Psalm 24? Any thoughts? Oh, yeah. So... Um, so he really brings the law to mind for the people and balances it out here, though. So, you know, in verse four, um, who can do this? The answer is anyone who has clean hands and a pure heart. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, no small task. Right. So you have this <laughs> this move of uh, not only like that, my actions outwardly are clean, but inwardly I'm clean too, right. Psalm 51, right. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, wow. That idea that we have to, uh, that before God, we have to be holy. This is his holy place, and therefore we must be holy if we are to ascend to this place and stand before God. So who's going to be able to do that? Uh, and the answer is, well, no one, right? No one. So <laughs> so yet, then he moves into verse 5, right? He, he, 
being whoever this is that can ascend the hill, right? But now it's singular, right? right. He mm. will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. See, then it moves back into generation. So you have this idea of, of who can do this, and then this move of this one person, and then it moves back to a whole generation again. And on one hand, you could be talking like the individual and the idea that we each have to examine our hearts before God. But then also you have this this idea of there being someone who is worthy to ascend it. And because of that, in light of that, then we too can because we're connected to that one. Um, So you have this really subtle law gospel moment here uh, in this back and forth of of us not being worthy to ascend and stand in the presence of God, but there is one who receives those blessings and that righteousness and brings salvation. And so all those gifts are ours. We become righteous. We receive the blessings from the Lord. Such then are we the generation that can, that seeks him, um, that wants to be, you know, with the God of Jacob, uh, the one who is creator. And now also we recognize not only holy, but also redeemer. And it brings up this, this language of seeking him. Um, what does it mean to seek him, seek the Lord? That, that's a language, you know, um, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is Matthew chapter six. Uh, seek the Lord. You know, it, like, like I mentioned to our listeners, you know, Dr. Ferguson's is a great teacher. So I, 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 you know, I learned a lot over Panera and St. Louis Bread Company. So I want the same thing to happen here. How would you describe that? One of your kids in confirmation class says, what does it mean to seek the Lord? You know, I go to church and then I go home. What, what is the seeking thing? What does that look like? Well, I think there's a couple of parts to that. One is is first the seeking in terms of I don't see his hand immediately, right? right. I look right. at the broken world. Uh, as Jesus says in the Beatitudes, right? I start hungering and thirsting for righteousness because I see as I grow in Christ, I see the dichotomy between what things ought to be and what things are and just how broken the fall really made everything, right? And so the more I grow in Christ, the more I understand what it means to be holy and righteous, what it means to to be good, kind of capital G, good, uh, uh, in terms of God and, and, his, and his holiness um, and his character and nature, I begin to see just how broken my character and nature is and, and the brokenness of everyone around me and the brokenness of the condition of the world and nature and everything. And so now I seek him, I hunger and thirst for the character and nature of God to be present now, you know, in my life and and in the world around me, you know, and then Luther talks about that in relation to like the Lord's prayer, right? Where we call on God's kingdom to come. Um, God's kingdom comes without us, you know, doing it, but we pray that it comes to us. Right. And so this hunger that, that as, as, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and engenders faith in us and grows that faith, uh, makes us hunger for that right relationship with God to be present in us, but then also for us to be able to see his hand in the world. And then it says this language that we will, you know, we'll say uh, the word faith. So who seek the face of God, the God of Jacob. So seeking and then the face. Um, I don't know. I've never seen a picture of God's face. Obviously, Christ, you know, we know through that. But I haven't seen the face of God. What, that? what does that mean? We have about a minute left before our break. Well, that's that's more of the idea that we are in the living presence of God and uh, are not destroyed, right? Uh, if you remember back right in the Old Testament, right, you have Moses, where Moses is like, you know, I want to see your face. He's like, you can't because you'll die, right? And yet, right. 
And yet we have this other moment when the sins of everyone's atoned for after the Ten Commandments are given and everyone says we will adhere to the, you know, all the things that God has called us to. And the elder, and then the, the blood is put on them and their sins are atoned for. And then Moses and the elders go up and they, they, they see God face to face and they dine with him on the mountain, right? You have this moment where because of the blood has covered over their sins uh, and forgiveness is theirs, that they are now in a right relationship with God such that being in the living presence of God doesn't eradicate them. And that's that moment of seeking God's face, right? That we want to be in his living presence, to to have that wash over us. And instead of it destroying us, that uh, instead it it gives us an understanding of what life really means and and what it what it's all its potentials are once sin is is removed from it right and paul talks about that with the idea of uh before you know like right now we see through a, a glass dimly but later on face to face right that that yeah. all the fullness of god is now there and in a right relationship with him instead of a striking terror in us it's nothing but joy and wonder and grace the lord look upon you with his favor, which we can't deny the idea of his face looking upon us with favor on account of Christ. Pastor, we need to take our next break. We are studying and praying Psalm 24 with Pastor Ferguson, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 24 as we receive the truth of who God is and also filled with righteousness, the the fullness of seeing the world through Christ's goggles, that this is all the Lord's, and the beauty of his creation that connects us all on account of Christ to him. And so did he give you the hat yet, Pastor, or is that still to come? No, that's still to come. Yeah, no. It's still to come. All right. It won't, it won't. Oh, here it is. No, you just gave it to me. So that's great. It. Oh, this is great. I'll give you I'll give you this highlight too, Pastor Ferguson, is that I've had since I've been on KFUO, since I've always been in Minnesota, that I've had two guests that have been live in studio and I wasn't there. Actually, I've never I didn't really have a guest even when I was in studio last uh Sherathon. It's been two guests, and you're the second one. Any guesses on who the first one was? Oh boy, I have no idea. At all. You do a, you do a lot of people. I don't know. Will Wheaton, maybe? <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. No, it was not him. It was the president, Matthew Harrison, was oh, the excellent. other guy. So you are in good company. It's great to, to know you're there. Hopefully, next year we'll be, be able to be there together um, when we come to, to Sherathon also. So, Pastor. Psalm 24, we've gone through the first six verses. And any anything else you want to highlight before we move on to the end of this psalm? Maybe just a little bit. I know that um, 
uh, in verse 4, right? It talks to the clean hands and pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, right? So so you have that move of the two tables, right? Of the law, you have the the swearing deceitfully, the idea that I'm, you know, saving my bacon compared to someone else. Uh, second kind of second table stuff and that does not lift up his soul to what is false. That's first table stuff. Um, what I love about it too is if you look at I know I'm getting out of my boundaries here, but in Psalm 25 verse 1, um, yep. it actually David then moves into that. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. Right? So mm. so there's that move of uh, he who does not lift it up in a cor- uh, uh, to false idols. And of course, we do outside of God acting in our lives. But then you have David uh, expressing that faith that he's been given in that very next chapter, using the, the or the next psalm in that very same phraseology that uh, before it was none of us can do it. Oh wait, Christ intercedes and God makes it possible. And then uh, after that, now we see David actually exercising that, and we see that then in verse five. The other part I wanted to note is just who's doing the work in that in that verse, right? So the work's all being done by Yahweh, right? He mm. will receive, right, blessing from Yahweh. So Yahweh is the one doing the blessing righteousness from the God, right? So so God then bestows his righteousness on on them and on us, and then he's the God of his salvation, right? So so as Christ uh, brings redemption to us, as, as Christ is vindicated in his death uh, through the resurrection that the Father uh, uh, gives him, we find there then our vindication, our redemption, and then by virtue of that, you know, the righteousness of God and the blessings uh, being bestowed on us that we receive then in, in the liturgy and the word and the sacraments um, as the spirit uh, comes and uh, makes us his own. This is something that was highlighted in, in, in such a, a great way by Pastor Nathan Metter this week when we went through Psalm 127 and speaking about unless the Lord builds a house and, and it talks about blessing and we can talk about blessing, but when we talk about being blessed uh, or blessed, uh, we're speaking about that that is that is from the Lord. I love how you highlight in verse five from the Lord, the God of his salvation. And I and I and I, that's part verse five, I would say, is one of those parts of this that I often have have overlooked about that blessing that comes from the Lord showing this is not from us. You know, this is purely from God. And it and he proclaims it right away in verse one. This is all God's, you know, and he gives it to us to be stewards of. And he continues to bless us all the way to salvation, even though we do not have those clean hands or a pure heart. And we pray, creating me a clean heart, O God. And guess what he tells us here? He's the one that showers it upon us, gives it to us by for the sake of Christ. Anything else, Pastor, in those first six verses? Yeah, you know, you noted how uh, how we often just kind of skip skip that stuff, you know, because because it makes us uncomfortable, right? Like, like right, who, who right. will ascend? I'm like, I will, you know, who will, who will stand in this holy place? Like, I will. And then it describes <laughs> who can do it. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe not, you know, right. uh, so maybe right. someone else, right? But then, then he turns it back around and says, no, it's you. It's you because I'm making it so. And so that zeal that we have for God's house, right, uh, it stems from God. And so... While we falter when we look at ourselves or when we take it on ourselves, we find that, that it's impossible, right? But but in God, it is possible. And David writes it in such a beautiful way here. Uh, whether you look at the Hebrew, whether you look at the English uh, uh, translation we have before us, it's it's a, just a lovely move of, of having us 
uh, reflect on our own natures, reflect on our inadequacy, and yet God doesn't hold us there. He puts us there so that he can have us look beyond that to the cross, uh, beyond our sins, uh, to repentance that he might then bring us forgiveness, right? And it's it's that move that the Spirit makes from, from showing us our sins for the purpose of showing us our redemption. Let's continue to the end of this psalm, because this this part, 7 through 10, is one that we often will hear. We hear this in Advent hymn. Um, like, as I mentioned, my, the congregation we served at Bethlehem in North St. Louis, they would sing a litany and a short song based on these words as well. We've heard them all, and it's always good to go back and say, hmm, do I really understand these words? So we have a few minutes before our break, so let us read 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Right away, Pastor, when I hear these words, I just can't help but think about that hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates, the great Advent hymn that we'll sing. Plus, it has a great tune. I love singing that. I, I want to sing it this Sunday, but we have Easter hymns to sing. Anyways, um, but behold, the King of glory waits. The King of kings is drawing near. The Savior of the world is here. Life and salvation he doth bring. Therefore, rejoice and gladly sing to God the Father. Raise your joyful songs of praise. I mean, I, I'm full of joy as I hear these words. Pastor, where do you want to start? Verses 7 through 10. Well, we can start there with the idea of the gates and the doors, right? So these are the gates and doors of, of, of the city of, you know, the city of God and, you know, and maybe of his tabernacle as well. And you have, you know, yeah, there's such a majestic uh, uh, way of phrasing it, right? The idea that the gates, you know, sound tall and mighty and broad and majestic and and are the gates that are fitting for the king of glory to come through. Um, when I was a kid, my, my mom made me... Uh, for a while made me listen to classical music. And then I started listening to it on my own. But for a while, she made me listen to it. And, uh, you know, the Russian composers were always awesome because they were so heavy and big. And I still remember, you know, that Slavic one of, of uh, the Great Gates of Kiev. And as a kid, when I would hear this uh, or we'd sing that, I'd also think about that hymn, or that hymn, but that, that piece of classical music. And that uh, just very majestic, broad, huge sound of just like, this is a big deal. But what I found interesting is, as I grew more uh, in my faith, I focused less on the gates and what was going on at the gates. You know, that, it, mm. that while we look at these beautiful, majestic gates, and he p- paints that picture of, of the call to the gates, uh, these ancient doors, uh, really the focus is not on the doors, it's on their action, which is open up. Open up for the king of glory, right? And, and it... In the English, it's kind of the same thing repeated, but in the Hebrew, it's a little different. In the in the first in verse seven, there it's it's an imperative. Um, the people of God at the gates, you know, inside the city, waiting for the King of Glory to enter, right? And it's an imperative. Uh, come do it, you know, the excited jubilation, urgent and joyful, right? In anticipation of God being with His people. Uh, it's just a, a beautiful moment of response to what God has done for them in those previous verses. And as I as I look at this too, there there's a song that comes. I have I, I reference hymns a lot, and maybe it's Sarah Golseth has really kind of um, um, really influenced me on this. But <laughs> but here, when you hear these words, it is um, I would say godly confidence. 
like you're saying, what's happening in these doors? There's a godly confidence for David as he brings the tabernacle back, that this God is, is the Lord over everything, that he gives his blessings, he gives his righteousness. And this hymn 490, this Easter season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. And if you want to start singing with me, we can't. not going to sing. But if you <laughs> want to sing too, 490, verse 5, stanza 5, Jesus lives and now is death, but the gate of life immortal. This shall call my trembling breath when I pass its gloomy portal. Faith shall cry as fails each sense. Jesus is my confidence. I think that is where you hear these words and you can't help but almost want to do this jubilation. Like you said, who is this king of glory with confidence? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And guess what? The battle is done as we know this Easter season that Christ has had the victory and he is strong and mighty. But right now, Pastor, we need to take another short break. We are studying and praying Psalm 24 with Pastor John Ferguson, and we'll be right back. program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit KFUO.org and click on the donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are studying and praying Psalm 24 with Pastor John Ferguson of Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor, we got through verse 7 as we looked at, uh, lift up the gates, e, e, uh, excuse me, lift up your heads, O mighty gates. And we think about that hymn. I quoted another hymn. As we look at this, Pastor, and any hymns come to mind for you? I'm, you know, I'm just kind of keep throwing them out there. Anything that you can think of as we go through this of a great hymn that connects very well. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, <clears throat> anything where God is our strength, right? So Mighty Fortress is oh, our God is one right man. here, absolutely. Um, certainly our church is one foundation, right, where it talks about, mm. you know, uh, the the heresies and persecutions, and yet God makes sure that his church still stands, right? Uh, mm. You know, anything there where God's God's mighty and powerful to save, despite the appearances of the church or the culture, despite whether we're persecuted or not, uh, whether whether people question uh, God's truths or not, um, whether they recognize the reign of Christ or not. Right. It doesn't change the reality that Christ reigns. God's truth is truth. Uh, and that the people of God are standing on the firmest foundation in all existence. And so uh, this kind of. Uh, uh, this this exuberance of, of verse seven and, and leading into the rest of the the psalm just really reflects on that confidence that we have in God that unshakable unflappable foundation and um, not only so we've seen him as creator and we've seen him as redeemer 
and now we're seeing him as as king, right? Uh, king of glory. Uh, and why do we call him glory? Because he is the Lord strong and mighty, right? Mighty in battle. And that puts us back to that mighty fortress concept, right? That that he's also our protector. So he's he's created us. He's adopted us through the blood of Christ so that we are we are his by, by creation and by salvation. And then he doesn't just leave us to our own devices in this life, but he's also standing uh, watch over us, protecting us and guarding us through all things. That was great because I kind of put you on the spot there. Okay, of, <laughs> of the 400 hymns we have, which one do you think relates to this one? That's not fair, but that, you're exactly right. Verse 8, how could we not connect a mighty fortress as our God? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. I mean, that is, it's it's time for Reformation. Let's get the Reformation, let alone Advent and, and still in Easter. Pastor, anything else? Verses 8, 9, and 10 as we continue to move on. Well, I just... This is that moment when you really can hear like the idea, like you have two sides of, you know, on either side of the gates waiting for him to open. Right. And one's one shouts, you know, lift up your heads, O gates, you know, that the king of glory can come in. And the other side's who's this king of glory? It's the Lord strong and mighty. You know, on the other side, repeating the refrain this time, not in the imperative, but now just in it as a statement. Uh, and we see the same thing in the English, but it's a subtle move in the Hebrew, but it's the idea, I think, not being, not having my PhD in Hebrew, but the, the idea being that uh, we move from the exuberant call for God to enter to now a declarative certainty that it is so. So mm. not just a, it's not a wishful concept, like, boy, I hope he comes, but rather, rather we are confident that he is at the gates and, and the gates are going to open and he is entering, right? So, uh, so that move of the people of God from, from exuberance of faith to that sure confidence and understanding of God with us. And it brings me back to uh, Palm Sunday, where the, the, they're saying hosannas and saying, Lord, save us. And, and when we look at our lives now, knowing that Christ has died and risen from the dead, our hosannas change a little bit in this sense that the Lord has saved us. Um, that we look to the future with the palm branches in in heaven um, at the final resurrection, that it is, you know, hosannas mean the Lord has saved us. And this, that understanding of that exclamatory reality of Jesus Christ is risen today. You know, um, I know my Redeemer lives. Um, it's that current, this is real, this has happened now. So in verse 9, I like how it says this, this is who God is, and what should we therefore do? Lift up your heads, O gates. What does that mean when it says lift up your heads? For the gates, <clears throat> the idea that uh, the gates, I would say, you know, poetically speaking, that the gates uh, themselves you know, are rising to the occasion, right? Um, these mighty doors, these ancient, uh, these ancient gates and doors, that... You know they're they're there to serve to to uh, be that line of the people of God, right? Uh, that where God encloses us in His arms and His protection, and the idea that uh, you know He's been doing so, uh, but we haven't seen Him face to face. Like we we come by faith, right? But not by sight. And so here we are, and and the the gates are finally at that moment of uh, raising up for us of opening um a lot a lot of times i thought about this in medieval terms as like a portcullis you know like the the, the iron grate goes up uh and finally uh the he can come in and in that moment mm -hmm. you know you have this this uh final connection 
a personal connection face to face, God and his people, the way that God always intends for us to be. In verse 10, it, it, I think it just brings it all back together. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. We could look at this in one sense of, well, duh. Right. <laughs> Moment, right, right? Right. But what is David doing in that last verse? Because he, he brings it all back together in simplicity, but yet in great power. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's such a loaded term, Lord of hosts, right? Yahweh right. Sabaoth. You know, we... We have that in our liturgy, the Lord of Sabaoth. When I was a little kid, I thought we were just adding a syllable to Sabbath because, you know, we <laughs> right. just needed to make it fit the meter of the song. And then later I learned, no, 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 this is this is a loaded term. Uh, Dr. Lessing, uh, when he was at the seminary, uh, talked about it in terms of translating as General Yahweh, that he is the Lord of the heavenly armies. The host is, you know, that host of God, the supernatural uh glory of those angels of Gabriel and Michael and and all of those uh, myriads of angels who do the bidding of God, who are his soldiers and messengers. And and that idea that, you know, he has all this glory and splendor and wonder that we see in the visions of Isaiah and John and others. And he uses all of that power to make his people his own. He uses all of that power to preserve us as his children. He uses all of that power to uh, to, to give us his mercy and his grace. And, and because that's the God who is. He's, he's the one who is. He's, he's all powerful, but he uses it for the salvation of his people and to love his creation. Pastor, we have about a minute and a half left in our time. When would you encourage our listeners to use this psalm, like in your own congregation or for pastoral care situations? When would Psalm 24 be appropriate? Well, not even appropriate is the wrong word. When is a great time to open up your Bible, to pray Psalm 24, to sing Psalm 24 uh, for the Christian in their daily walk? I would say... There's two kind of opposing moments when, when it's appropriate for both, especially. Uh, one is when things are going great. You know, when you see God's yeah. hand in your life in a, in a blessing, in a beautiful way, right? Like God's kingdom, uh, God lifted that veil a little bit, and we see his hand acting behind the scenes. And what a moment to give God glory that he really is among his people, right? And we see that in the service and that kind of stuff when we feel especially like like for whatever reason we've been impacted by by the gifts God gives us in that moment. But also uh, when times are rough and we don't see God's hand, right? Uh, God is there and he is abiding with us. He is protecting us. He is imminent even when we don't recognize it um, because we are broken creatures and, and we can't see the whole picture. But yet we have confidence as, as David did in that moment, right? We look to the cross, we look to the empty tomb here at Easter um, and recognize that as the people of God, appearances are deceiving in a broken world. And that that Lord, General Yahweh, uh, the King of glory, who has created you, who has redeemed you, uh, who is your protector, right, is there with you and loves you. And it's a great reminder of that in our times of trouble and struggle. Pastor Don Ferguson of Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, leading us in of study and prayer of Psalm 24. Pastor Ferguson, a blessed Easter to you, and thank you for bringing us his gifts. It's awesome to talk to you, Brady. God's blessings to you and your work. 
Saints of our Lord, it is a joy to be with you and thank you for your support of KFUO. Continue to pray as we encourage you today, but also consider how you can support this worldwide proclamation of the gospel. It impacts not only people around the world, but also people locally, like at the local seminary as they study and hear that word of God, to the college student, um, to the mother um, with young children, to the father who is working these days, and to the grandparents who pray for their grandchildren. All of this, what we do is bring truth when the many questions in this world we can confidently say Jesus is my confidence. I'm your host Brady Fenner and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.